Hey, everybody. We are back in effect here. Now on my own YouTube channel underneath the Unexpected Points banner. Uh, I am Kevin Cole, the host for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, which is probably nobody here since I'm no longer at uh, PFF. For those who were not listening to an episode I came out with earlier this week, an update episode, the PFF franchise is constricting a little bit. I, being one of the victims of that, I published an article every week over at a brand new Substack, unexpectedpoints.substack.com. You should check it out. It has all the analysis. Um, definitely an NFL bent to it, not so much as a fantasy bent to it. Um, but I'm going to go over some of the stuff that I talked about over there, but then also get into stuff that I didn't have a chance to talk about that's more uh, suited, better suited for the podcast format, get into a little bit about what's going to happen this weekend, and also get into a little bit of some stuff that I wanted to talk about last Friday when I had the old uh, podcast ready to go, loaded up, about to stream before I got the old, uh, hey, can you can you join us for a Zoom? <laughs> right now from the higher ups and i was like uh oh i don't know what's going on here because the guy that i was using to log into our Streamyard account that wasn't working anymore uh unfortunately he was let go so anyway things be what they are uh grass is hopefully greener on the other side the blessing in disguise all that sort of stuff i'm enjoying and i think i got some good into the conversation of what's going on of football type of content this week again go check that out if you have the chance, I will talk about a little bit more of that later. I am going to do this Friday thing, Friday night thing, because I'm concentrating really hard on being able to get the best content, written content, onto the website. If you've been there, it has all of my adjusted scores up on Monday morning, probably even before you would get the podcast normally to go over it. It has a link to a Google Sheet that you can go to that has all of the adjusted scores, actual scores, information on a lot of the different things that drive the final calculations for the entire 2022 season. So that access is open. There's a link in the articles that I have on the Substack. And then this morning, Friday morning, I came out with an article that had the um, Thursday night game. And an analysis there. And I could go a little bit deeper. I can display some more things, some more visuals. People can dig into it a bit more. Maybe digest it in a little bit more friendly format than on the podcast. So the podcast, I think I'm going to step back two times a week. It's going to be one interview. Which will hopefully take place most of the time on Tuesday. Published Wednesday morning. You know, early, early morning. So it'll be there first thing in the morning on Wednesdays for you. So hopefully that'll be the case. I have uh, Chase Stewart next week from Football Perspective, OG Stats Guy. I have Ted Knudsen, who I have lined up for early January, who is the founder of Stats Bomb, which is, I don't know, maybe the best soccer analytics company. And then he's moving now into uh, what he would call American football, since he's out in the UK. I mean, he's an American, but he's in the UK. So, because uh, he's been working before that, he worked for Pinnacle doing odds making for them fascinating story i could probably talk to him for an hour about four or five different aspects of what he's been doing in his career so i'm going to talk to him talk to some others try to get some some big time guests on here 
Uh, I'm also going to be on the Wharton Moneyball program in early January, right around the same time as we come back from the break. So be on the lookout for that. Been a big fan of those guys over there. Of course, Cade Massey is one of the hosts of the Wharton Moneyball program, a professor over at the University of Pennsylvania now. And he is the co-author along with uh, Richard Thaler of the Massey Thaler Loser's Curse, kind of the seminal draft value research, which has really reshaped everything as far as how we think of value, how we think of future picks, how we think of uh, the coin flip nature between rank ordered prospects from different positions. Um, I'm also stealing one of Jason Fitzgerald's bits. If you know Jason Fitzgerald, he is the proprietor of Over the Cap. He does weekend podcasts and uh, he normally does it with a little bit of a brew. So I'm doing so myself here. I have uh, never had this before. I'm going to display it here for anyone at YouTube. Um, maybe it's a little bit too, a little bit too much of feedback here, but it's from Hysteria Brewing. Gotta haze them all. American IPA. Not bad. Notes of passion fruit, tropical fruit, and coconut. I'm normally not about the fruity stuff, but this is not too bad. Not too bad at all. I've been on a kick of having nothing but other half brewery. And if anyone is in the uh, D.C. area, which I am, Virginia, uh, Jersey, New York, because they also have a brewery up in um, in the Brooklyn area, I would say other half brewery. That's that's your spot to be. But I'll I'll you know sip on this as we're going along here. Maybe spice up the takes a little bit also as we're going along. Okay, let's get to the news of the week. And again, um, I have subscribers only on in the chat, so. Drop some drop some questions in there. Maybe preface when you when you write in the chat in the comments that it's a question for the Q and A. Maybe even put you know Q and A colon before you're dropping something in there. So I, if I have to sort through this, I don't think I'm gonna have a lot of comments right now since we're just starting this up. But you know, sometimes these side conversations start where people are arguing back and forth about you know whether Tua or Herbert is better, and then it ends up going on and taking up the entire chat where nothing is actually directed towards me. So just help me out in that direction if you can, as I'm kind of figuring out what I'm doing here um, as we go along. So before we get to the news of this week, I wanted to talk quickly about a really cool podcast interview from last week. This interview that I was going to talk about on last Friday's pod, but again, was preempted as I was let go. They're going to use the... um, the OpenAI chat bot instead of me at PFF. I don't blame them uh, for doing so. But it was an interview with Patrick Mahomes. He's being interviewed by the Kelsey brothers. Um, they have their podcast. I should probably have the name of the podcast here. Let me see. The Kelsey Bros Podcast. Oh, here we go. Should have known this. Oh, New Heights. The New Heights Podcast. The Kelsey Bros. Um, I like Travis Kelsey as a... Fantastic player. Let's 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 slow down about you know greatest tight end ever. Talk a little bit there. I especially like Jason Kelsey though. He seems like a very smart dude. Uh, the type of dude I want to get him to follow me on Twitter. I think he has like he doesn't follow anyone on Twitter or like four people or something. But that that's my mission to get Jason Kelsey to follow me. I feel like offensive linemen are maybe some of the best people to be into a statistical analysis for some reason. Um, 
and, and, and how they work. I think they have to grind a little bit better in technique and study a little bit better than some other positions. But anyway, they had Mahomes on there. Awesome interview. Mahomes and Kelsey are obviously, they have a bromance, which they talk about as part of the interview. They talk about a lot of different things. The one clip, and I'm going to play here first, the one video clip that got the most hype is the clip about um, Mahomes and what happened in his draft process. Now, remember, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hint at this. Remember when we're thinking about what's going on with the draft and when we, when we judge Brett Veach or we judge, um, you know, Dorsey was the guy there before Veach. We always give him all this credit for picking Patrick Mahomes. You know, I like to say you get some credit for it, but there's obviously a lot of luck that's involved in this stuff also. And talk about another factor of luck, a factor where no one would have expected this. Hey, you know, maybe uh, the top prospect can get in the answers, get it, get, him, get the answers slipped to him uh, by one of the assistant coaches. And that's what it seems like happened. Uh, the news that Patrick Mahomes broke during the interview, uh, you can hear it uh, right here. First day that I met Coach Reed was at the facility. We had like the uh, meetings, like the top 30 visits. So I was in there for like five hours. Just He's just going grilled. through plays, going through plays. And uh, I'm going to give you all the inside scoop. Uh, Matt Nagy, who was the offensive coordinator then, he really liked me. So he gave me the plays they were going to go over the night before. So Coach Reed's finding out here live on New Heights podcast. Oh, my gosh. Matt Nagy. <laughs> How could you? Let's go. And yeah. So, of course, I crushed the meeting. I stayed up all night studying those plays. It's like, man, this kid is locked in. We got ourselves a winner here. <laughs> As the process went on, I got a feeling that I was kind of going up in the draft. I had a couple of teams that said they were going to draft me, and I mean, that's true. Like, it's not like these coaches are making that up. I talked to them. Uh, during the draft process, and they were like, "Hey, if you're there, we're gonna we're gonna take you." I kind of gave a little inside info to the the Chiefs, and was like, "Hey, if y'all let me go anywhere below at the time, I didn't know about the Saints, but I was like, if y'all let me go twelve or below, I'm gonna get drafted." By- All right, let me just say really quickly. Notice that twelve or below. Do you know who had the number twelve pick in the 2017 NFL Draft? The Cleveland Browns had the number 12 pick, which doesn't surprise me because Mahomes was really popping in models. He was my number one quarterback in that draft class. Of course, they traded out of the pick, which ended up being Deshaun Watson, who they now have Watson, all that sort of stuff. But anyway, so it sounds like he knew that the Browns were going to potentially take him in, in that draft. By someone else. You drafted yourself? And so I gave the Chiefs a little, bit of, in, a little bit of a little bit of info on that because I wanted to be here. Let's go! All right. So, you know, Travis is very happy about the fact that he was there. But again, let's just think about all the luck involved in this. Matt Nagy goes, I don't know, this probably is not a great look for Matt Nagy, quite honestly. Like, I mean, it's a good look in that Kansas City's happy about the fact that he ended up there. Uh, I joked when I saw this clip that they need to put Matt Nagy in the uh, Kansas City Chiefs ring of honor for something like this. But the reality is, He's kind of sullying the whole process, if you do have a process. I mean, if you actually have a process as part of this draft thing, it seems like a lot of the times when it comes to these quarterbacks, it's like the GM or whoever is the final decider on these uh, on, on these calls ends up just saying who they want for, for the draft pick. And, you know, no matter what happens in the draft pick, draft process, they end up taking them. But Matt Nagy colors it. Then you have Mahomes coming in and saying, hey, you got to trade up for me to this point. Um, 
you know, give credit when credit's due. But just remember, there are so many layers, so many stories, probably exactly like these stories, this story that Mahomes say that we don't know about when we're praising everyone for what they had done or slamming everyone for what they had done for these individual picks, as opposed to, you know, the soundness of the process behind them and the ability of trading up and getting extra capital and all of that sort of stuff. So there's that. And now I have a second clip from Patty, good old Patty Mahomes, that I love this clip because it's him being asked about quarterback stats and what he thinks about different types of quarterback stats. This is this is something that I clipped out of here. So this is not their social media department putting this together. So this is him talking about quarterback stats, and there's just a ton of good stuff in here. And it kind of shows how the greats, whether I think Peyton Manning's been probably the greatest at being having intuition in what guides him in knowing what's valuable or not, or maybe even studying what's valuable or not. Mahomes definitely has that on top of all of the physical talent and all that other stuff. Uh, just listen to him talk about quarterback stats and what he likes or does not like about them. Uh, couldn't have said it better myself. I've never been a big like completion percentage guy. Like that's never been like the, my favorite stat to kind of keep high. You want to, you want to obviously have a, a high completion percentage, right. but um, I feel like if you're not kind of pushing the limit and giving guys chances, and then another thing is throwing the ball, CPOE under attack here from Patrick Mahomes. Ball away and not taking sacks. Uh, I feel like you're, you're hurting your team. And so uh, I've never been a big completion percentage guy. I'm someone that likes to, to push it. Um, and I want it to be high and I want it to be like having success. But I want to make sure that uh, our guys are having chances to go out there and make plays. Okay. So coming after CPOE here, I love it. Absolutely love it. And I've heard some people try to parse the fact that CPOE – was different than completion percentage. So therefore he's not really knocking on CPOE. Well, they're they're pretty highly correlated. They're extremely highly correlated. And he's talking about throwing it in certain circumstances, especially if you're not accounting for where defenders are, things like that, of just trying to let you guys make a play. And then he also talks about just throwing the ball away rather than taking a sack. And throwing the ball away doesn't mean just throwing the ball out of bounds, which may be taken out of some sort of CPOE calculations, but it could just mean dirting the ball in the backfield or two yards down the field near a defender. And when that happens, it looks like a pretty negative play because it's not a very strong depth of target, right? It's not very strong depth of target. So then the CPOE looks really, really bad on that. So it just shows Mahomes is in tune with what's going on here with the NFL and with the value and with that EPA that he moves forward here. I mean, I think we're starting to get an idea now of the people that were saying, you know, Russ Wilson um, CPOE is so high because his deep, his, his offense doesn't allow him to generate great EPA. And that's why they're high relatively to each other versus Mahomes. His offense is so easy. Eh, we're getting a little flavor this year of maybe, maybe EPA was, was the one to be watching here versus CPOE. All right, let's talk about what else happened this week. And again, I'll say to everyone here, I'm going to be taking some questions. I may sprinkle in some answers to questions on YouTube if you're in the chat. Just mark something here with Q&A so I know what you're talking about when I go to answer them. But let's talk about the big news of the week. So I wrote articles about a lot of the stuff here. We saw what happened Thursday night. Last night, I wrote an article about Baker Mayfield coming to the Rams here how Sean McVay had turned around two really former number one picks when we talk about Jared Goff and we talk about what he did with Matthew Stafford. Stafford had had some fringe top five types of efficiency seasons before, but not until last season. 
The one real question, though, is what Baker's going to be able to do this year. And last night he had about flat EPA, which is not bad considering, you know, going coast to coast. Uh, highly derivative off of a couple of long plays, including a DPI down the field, but still not bad going coast to coast. And they really don't have much pass blocking this year. That was part of the, one of the big problems. And it's funny, Ben Baldwin, I'm mentioning him again. He has to get like two mentions or three mentions per pod. He has been charting Rams pass blocking PFF grade versus efficiency throughout the years. And you find out that not only was Jared Goff highly um, susceptible to, highly dependent on pass blocking Grady, but so has Matthew Stafford. And for that reason, they're probably not going to get it turned around in the season for Baker. So the most, the thing for Baker will be next season, maybe coming back on a prove it deal. We'll see what happens with Matthew Stafford. Who's going to turn 35 in February. And he's kind of an old 35 because he's been playing since a very young age. He's entering his 15th NFL season. He is 12th all time in pass attempts, not too far behind Aaron Rodgers right now. So He's, he's had a long career where he took a lot of injuries also early in his career. So we'll, we'll see what happens to Matthew Stafford, but that's really going to be the path for Baker going forward in, in that in that regard. Uh, the other article that got probably the most pickup, this one I got the most pickup of the week, is the Jimmy Garoppolo article that I wrote. I had to finally get my definitive Jimmy Truther take out there um, with basically every analyst, especially every film type of analyst, Um, I wish I loved anyone as much as film analysts love any 49ers quarterback not named Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, like the Trey Lance articles, they were loving him. We'll see what happens to Trey Lance. I don't think his probability of success is very high, quite honestly, right now. Um, And now Brock Purdy. (laughs) Everyone thinks that he has a chance. And not a dumb and dumber, so you're saying there's a chance, chance, like a one in a million chance, but... We're talking about they think he has, they have, he has a decent chance. And, you know, they're going to make the playoffs probably with him no matter what. So I get that. They have a very, very strong defense. Probably the best defense in the NFL or close to it, according to the different numbers and power uh, ratings and strength that I've looked at through there. So I, I get it. Um, and though I had to dispel some notions of what people had to say as part of this article. Part of the argument that I had heard quite a few times was that other performances in the past by guys like Mullins or C.J. Beathard um, weren't that good because they did not have Debo Samuel in particular, because Debo was out for a lot of those seasons. Um, In 2020, they did not have... Nick Bosa, there was a joke about like the the record, the win-loss record for the 49ers with Nick Bosa is also is similarly skewed as it is with Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, so as, as if to kind of mock a little bit the Jimmy Garoppolo record uh, conversation. And yeah, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is as good as the record. I mean, very famously, I looked up the numbers here. When he's taking the majority of quarterback snaps, the 49ers are 43 and 18 versus 8 and 30 without him since 2017. Yeah, he doesn't turn a 20% win team into a 60% win team or 70, sorry, sorry, 70% win team. I get that all by himself, but he's definitely a lot more influential than, than Nick Bosa. And another underlying point is, you know, in the 2020 season, the 49ers defense was still a fringe top 10 defense, even without Nick Bosa. So I looked at all, all the different numbers and at first it's like, forget about the defense because we can, you know, we can highlight EPA for offense. We don't have to worry about record. Let's just look straight at the good old points, the good stuff. Um, And I looked at Jimmy Garoppolo and I said, okay, 
product of his environment when it comes to his surrounding cast and his supporting cast and his receivers and Debo Samuel and George Kittle and all those guys. Let's just, why don't we look at the numbers to see if there's evidence there? And I don't agree in particular that splits are particularly meaningful, but if you're going to say Jimmy Garoppolo was good because of these guys, then you would hope that there would at least be evidence that Jimmy Garoppolo performed better when he had those receivers than when he didn't. And I don't know, man. Any way you slice his data, um, his whole time with the 49ers, he has a 0.18 EPA. When he had both George Kittle and Debo Samuel on the field at the same time, he's a 0.19 EPA. So just ever so slightly higher when he has just one of those two on the field. So either George Kittle or Debo Samuel, 0.17, almost the same exact number. And in, in a lot fewer plays here in this category, this last category, a lot fewer plays, only 226 of the 2,100 dropbacks for Jimmy Garoppolo. But still, for those plays, which mostly came in 2017 when he first came over, and finished out the last six games of the season for the 49ers. In those plays where that was before George Kittle joined the team, that was before um, Debo Samuel joined the team. And during those plays, Jimmy Garoppolo, 0.32 EPA. So a much, much better EPA. Now, is he better without those guys than he's with those guys? Of course not. But it just shows that at least in in that circumstance where Marquise Goodwin was his top receiver, where in, uh, you know, mid-30s, not mid-30s, early-30s Pierre Garçon, who was kind of on the decline at that point, was another one of his top receivers. When those guys were his top guys, when he came in, .032, better than what he had been the rest of the time. You go back to New England. Now, you don't have a ton of time in New England. You only have 137 dropbacks in New England. EPA in New England, 0.14. So ever so slightly lower than what he did with the 49ers. But basically, scenario after scenario after scenario, at least the evidence-wise, there's no change. So again, Jimmy Garoppolo has this this theory. He's supported by Shanahan. He's supported by the other receivers. There's no evidence for that. Whereas Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard, you know, they didn't have a lot of plays playing with, with both of these guys, but their performances with just one of them, at least, where there's a decent amount of plays of that for Nick Mullins and for Beathard, much, much, much worse. I mean, they're not great quarterbacks, but again, you know, Beathard was a third round pick, probably taken a little bit too early for that. But again, not not great performance from them there. And then the last point I wanted to bring up when it came to Garoppolo, and I think this is really the, the defining thing is, you know, he's a system quarterback. He's a system quarterback. Uh, the easy buttons you can press at quarterback, whether it's play action, whether it's, you know, throwing against a loaded box, juicing up the EPA, juicing up the value on those sorts of things, juicing up the yards per attempt, which Garoppolo is always great at. Um, It's easier to do that on early downs than it is on late downs. You can't really fool teams with play action on late downs. Believe it or not, on third and two, third and two, you're passing almost 70% of the time in the NFL. Down in distance, more than anything else, tells people what you're going to do. That's the tip. It's not like your personnel. It's not your um, 
formation. It's not all those things. Down and distance tells the defense what you're going to do. On third and three, you're already passing it more than 80% of the time. On just third and three. So on third down, teams know you're going to pass. It's harder to scheme and press those easy buttons. Well, guess what? Jimmy Garoppolo is incredibly good on third down. And it's not just one season. 2017, he was great when he came in in limited time. He missed most of 2018. 2019, he was great when he played the entire time. Uh, 2020, he missed most of, most of the season. Last year, he was good, even though he trailed off at the end with the injuries. And then this year, he had been performing, outperforming on third down. In fact, since 2017, the top passers by third down efficiency are guys that you would put in that bucket of system-proof type of guys. Patrick Mahomes, number one. Number two, Jimmy Garoppolo. Number three, Andrew Luck. Number four, Justin Herbert. Number five, Aaron Rodgers. And in particular, you could say, well, Shanahan's just really, really great at scheming those third down plays. That's what's happening. Well, Nick Mullins was good in early downs, 0.13 EPA, bad in third down, negative 0.14. C.J. Beathard, you know, not horrible on early downs. And... Horrible or bad on late downs. Trey Lance, pretty limited sample here. Okay on early downs, negative EPA on late downs. So if, whereas Jimmy, you know, 0.15 on early downs, EPA, 0.24, a higher number on third down. In 615 third down reps too. So a pretty significant amount we're talking about. More than a whole season's worth of what would be a normal season for people. And when you look at other quote unquote system quarterbacks, uh, Drew Brees, who was kind of aging during that period, he was first since 2017 in early down efficiency. He's dropped all the way to 21st out of 55 quarterbacks who qualified of having at least um, enough dropbacks there. I think it's how many dropbacks? At least 200 dropbacks I cut it off at. So he was 21st of 55. Ryan Tannehill went from sixth on early downs to 36th. And Kirk Cousins went from a positive 0.1 EPA per play to about flat on third downs. Those are other guys that are commonly going to put in that Jimmy Garoppolo bucket. They showed the difficulties on third down. Jimmy Garoppolo did not. So am I saying Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo is the greatest quarterback on the planet, this and that, this and that? No, no, no. But people who just like to say that there's not going to be a big drop-off because of X, Y, and Z at least have some evidence for that. That's all I ask. All right. Before we get into the Q&A stuff, last topic I want to talk about here is John Robinson being let go by the Tennessee Titans. A surprising move. I agree with most people there. Uh, winning season every year since he's been there, turning things around from a, I think it was a 3-13 and season before he started there. You know, they're number one in the division. They look like they're going to win the division. Last year, they were the number one seed in the playoffs. Um. You can't really analyze this. And this is why I did not write about it. Because what's going on in the building? And you see this quite often from these different teams where you think these are billion-dollar organizations. So, therefore, they're going to be run in some sort of systematic way. You know, board of directors, um, quality control, decision-making by consensus. No, not really. (laughs) There's basically a triumvirate at the top of every organization of the owner, the head coach, I would say most of the time is next. And the longer the head coach lasts, the more that they 
take over it because they're the face of the franchise a lot of the times. I mean, I know players can be the face of the franchise. I get all that stuff. Um, but if, from a decision-making standpoint, from a the buck stops here standpoint, coaches, they're the ones out in front of the media uh, on a week-by-week basis. They're the ones dealing with the players all the time. So Vrabel probably has established himself more and more and more as time has gone on as being that guy because of the success, coach of the year last year. Um, so quite often the GM and the coach, they do this thing where they try to tie them together at the hip by hiring them at the same time, kind of like a Lynch and Shanahan situation in the 49ers. I think that can work in theory, but eventually when, when times get tough or when you just can't stand the dude anymore. And Robinson was there, you know, before he brought in Vrabel and brought him there. Relationships get frayed. Um, Power moves happen. I would not be surprised if Rabel was at the very least not upset about the fact that Robinson is gone. And eventually the ear of the owner and the actions of the owner is going in one person's direction or the other. Just what ends up happening. You know, it doesn't really matter that Robinson hired Vrabel. It doesn't really matter what their record are. It doesn't matter anything. If Vrabel has lost confidence in Robinson, if the A.J. Brown trade, I've heard a lot of like the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, it's a pretty big straw. <laughs> you know, It's not just like a straw laid on top of a whole pile of hay. I mean, it's more like the, I don't know, steel beam that broke the the camel's back that you're putting on top there. I mean, that's a big, big deal. You saw not only did Vrabel say in the off season shortly before AJ Brown was traded that, you know, he's going to be on the team as long as I'm here. You saw his reaction to it. You saw that it was even said in the um, announcement from the owner that maybe they weren't consulted on it, or that was reported. I think that maybe they weren't consulted on it. Ownership was not consulted before making that move. Uh, maybe they thought because, you know, it's not a quarterback that they don't have to bring ownership in on that. Um, and then A.J. Brown goes off, torches them. Um, Traylon Burks, who's been in fits and starts, has looked okay, but he gets knocked out. He's he's out for the rest of the game. There's no depth at the position. You're paying uh, the cap charge for Ryan Tannehill is about $35 million. You know, I, I was fine re-signing Ryan Tannehill, but when they did the restructure, that became a big problem. So all those things probably combined here. And after a certain point, Vrabel says, you know, his, he's close with ownership. He's probably more than willing to let Robinson go. And then he'll be involved now in bringing it together and bringing things back together. And, you know, not handpicking his GM, but at least having a huge influence on that. Now he was asked and he says, I didn't know the decision. I didn't know it was going to happen before. I, I mean, I believe he probably didn't know definitively it was going to happen, but I'm sure that his opinions and, perspective on it was known by ownership and shaped eventually what would happen there but we just don't know what's going on in these organizations and we'd be very very surprised how little it is about some sort of rigorous evaluation and how much is it about are you in the favor of the owner or not is this power struggle are you going to win or not and then as soon as you don't it's like a light switch it gets flipped and you are out there's not it's like you can you can go. I know he just got re-signed this huge deal. Well, he was still on the the, the green side of things at that point, on the go forward side of things. You can be you can be on the go forward side of things and then slip to the to, to being out and you're and you're fired. Doesn't happen mid season that often with GMs, 
Uh, but it does happen a lot that guys get fired with a lot of time left on their contracts. We'll see what happens to um, a couple gentlemen in Arizona in that regard. Okay, I'm going to close it out here by getting some to the Q&A. And I appreciate the questions that have, have come up here. Go ahead and write Q&A and fire something up here if you do happen to have it here. We're going to go first here. Uh, I got I got to raise my head for this Q&A because it's, because it's, <laughs> it's pretty big here. Maybe I got to move back. Got to adjust the, uh, the camera here. But so question for the Q&A. Recent losses by the Raiders, Jets, and Dolphins, and Chargers open the lane for the Patriots to make the playoffs, even just by the narrowest of margin. Can they make the playoffs this year? Yeah, no, they can definitely make the playoffs. You're right that the Raiders may have not had a real chance. They had to win out or not much of a chance in the AFC. So that kind of eliminated things last night. Um, the, the Patriots were about a 45, 40, 45% chance even having to lose uh, a loss to the bills last week because they really weren't supposed to win that, that sort of game. So all of that happening and the jets are really the key point here for these different teams, because the Jets team strength number, at least according to my numbers, according to most people's numbers is going to be a little bit weaker than some of these other teams. I know Mike white has acquitted himself fairly well recently, but that's going to be a question going forward. So yeah, the Patriots have a good shot of making it. And I've been pleasantly surprised by the fact that we haven't really had, you know, Bailey Zappi fever after that um, Island game where everyone was going nuts for him. And Mac Jones has not played great, but playing a little bit better, demanding to push the ball down the field a little bit more. The defense has been really, really good. The pass defense in particular has been really, really good. I was working on some team strength metrics. Um, there's this guy, Alok uh, Patani, who used to work at ESPN, and he's done some consulting for some NFL teams. He has a nice post that people should look up, where he's he's actually coding this stuff in Python. So I did some stuff in R where it's looking at ridge regression and doing some dummy variables and trying to figure out what sort of coefficients you can get for different efficiency stats for teams. So I was looking specifically at pass defense. What's interesting about pass defense is the Raiders are the worst, according to this these team strength numbers that I'm putting together here. So that helped Baker Mayfield last night. But um, for pass defense, Philly, Denver, and then New England are the three that are right at the top. Um, Dallas, San Francisco next. So New England's been okay against the run, not nearly as good against the run, but their pass defense has been really, really good. And that matters a lot this season. Now, the problem is their offensive total is a bit down. Their pass total is a bit down. Their offensive rush is okay. It's about flat from what you'd expect, but it's really that defense is going to help keep them in things so far this season. And if we look at the Patriots for the rest of the year, um, if we look at the Patriots schedule, that's really what's going to tell here. And we have, you know, some some big games coming up. So you have the Cardinals, the Raiders. Those are very winnable games. If they can win those two games, then you have the Bengals, Dolphins, Bills, which is going to be really, really tough, those three. But if they can win those first couple of games and put themselves, I think, in a good position to maybe get in, even if they only win one uh, of the last three games, uh, and probably get in if they can win two out of the last three. So that's going to be key for them this year. Um, Casey asks, what are thoughts on betting exchanges? You know, I'm not the most well-versed in this. You know, I'm going to probably going to ask, because I'm probably going to ask Ted Knutson about this when he comes on the podcast. He was a guy at Pinnacle over there. Um, there's some interesting contests that have been put out or that they haven't been replicated. I don't know if any of you saw when DraftKings had a, 
I don't know what the name of it was, but it was a sports betting contest where you started with X amount and then you tried to build up a bankroll through different games. And there was a controversy and friend of the pod, Rufus Peabody, ended up getting third where he could have got higher. So I think there's a lot of different ideas for what people can do here. Betting exchanges, you basically take out the middleman. And that's what could be a little bit easier here. You could hopefully cut down on some of the hold that goes into part of the process. And it becomes more similar to DFS in a way where honestly, if you are not a very, very sharp player, like it's better to bet than it is to play DFS because the DFS ecosystem um, gives a, gives a better window for sharps to make a lot of money. That would be the case here too, in betting exchanges. There'd be a little bit more of a window if you could craft unique bets here. I mean, if you're just going off of the lines that are like posted at every single sports book, yeah, you're not going to get a lot. You're not going to get a lot of creative stuff going on there. But if you can actually craft unique bets and have exchanges on there, there could be some area where we're talking about like head-to-head type of contests in DFS and some interesting things that can happen that can happen there. Um, I just don't know if the regulatory angle is going to be very, very good because trust me, when you have a sharks versus fish type of situation, that's when the legal stuff will come out. That's when, you know, some reporter will write some article. Um, I don't know how many of you remember. I don't remember if the gentleman worked for FanDuel or DraftKings, but one of the guys won a huge prize platform on another platform. And there was a controversy about the fact that he could have the data at FanDuel if he worked for FanDuel, even though he won over DraftKings. It was all a bunch of nonsense, really. But it got clicks because of how much money was being spent on everyone saw the DFS commercials and things like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if something like that ends up happening too, with people have the ability to get scooped up and uh, preyed upon in that sort of environment. Okay. Uh, is Fields legit? Next question here. And if so, how should the Bears tackle building around him? Now, I've been thinking about this one a lot because I was just looking at tankathon.com earlier uh, today. So... Um, actually for, for YouTubers here, I'm going to go ahead and maybe bring that up on the, on the screen here. So if we look at Tankathon here and the 2023 NFL draft order, guess who is sitting in number two in the 2023 NFL draft order? That is the Chicago bears. Now they've played an extra game so far. Uh, I assume that means they're on by this week. I should probably know this, but I assume they're on by this week because I think it's the last week for buys. So they would be on by this week. So they're so the Denver Broncos, if the Denver Broncos lose this week, they will jump up into the number two pick versus Chicago currently being in the number two pick because their strength of schedule is easier so far this season. Um, if the Bears win this week, they'll, they're not going to fall into fourth or fifth or sixth place, but they could eventually because they have a much higher strength of schedule. So Part of this, I do think, is going to be based upon how they feel about this draft pick and the quarterbacks who are available here because they could have um, not the number one pick. I think Houston's going to be locked in there uh, no matter what they do at quarterback, and they're shuffling around all over the place there. Um, But whether or not they end up third, fourth, fifth, sixth, I think a lot of the hype around this class has faded a bit here. So, you know. We'll see, because it seemed like, and I've heard, you know, whispers, secondhand, thirdhand whispers that um, Ryan Poles was not too high on Justin Fields as a prospect. 
And maybe, again, a lot of this is speculation here. So I don't, you know, maybe I shouldn't even be saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. And maybe his reluctance to build around fields in the offseason was based partially, at least, on the fact that, do I have enough caveats here? Partially, at least, on the fact that he didn't believe in him necessarily. Well, things have kind of changed, right? I don't know. Can Chicago move and, and draft another quarterback right now? I probably would. Would Chicago do that? Mm, maybe not. I don't know. I just feel like these 60-yard fields runs that we're seeing, and he's already had some injury problems, we're just probably not going to see them continue on forever here. So I would say that it's questionable on whether or not he's legit. He's gone from very, very likely not being legit to maybe having, you know, having some hope of being legit this season. Um, but I would still say let's bring in some competition. And, you know, if if Fields ends up working out, hell, you know, you, then, then you got a high draft pick and you got Justin Fields. Like that seems like a pretty good situation to have um, for a team that still is probably not going to be 100% ready to compete next season. Although the NFC North will be pretty weak uh, next year. That's why kind of why I like the Lions to maybe win, m- maybe take the 2023 NFC North. I don't think we can bet on that yet. But when those future bets become available, Actually, probably the whole football media industrial complex will be all over that anyway, so it won't matter. But that one will be interesting to me. Okay, let's go next here. Is there any value on always being aggressive on fourth down decisions? Most coaches just seem to be really unnecessarily conservative, and it can really cost them wins. And then the clarification here, win probability. Yeah. Um, This was advocated for by Josh Hermsmeyer on what was the most popular episode, I think, in the history of Unexpected Points, which was our blasphemous takes in the offseason. My take was that coaches should always just do what the win probability model says and only have a certain number of vetoes they can use during an entire season. His take on top of that was, you know what? These guys should just always be aggressive all the time. Build that into your DNA. So I do think there's some value on that. You can get some extra value above what the model says because timeout risk is taken down or blowing or nailing timeouts is taken down. Number two, the defense like the offense is not necessarily as prepared. The defensive play caller is not as prepared on fourth downs because they're not sure what's going to happen. The defense itself is having a almost sigh of relief when you get a third down stop not necessarily knowing what to do. All of those things can maybe even get you a timeout on the other side. So I do think always being being aggressive works a lot better. We saw like that. That's why I'm also an advocate of just not spiking and always just running a plan. We saw that pay off for the Jaguars uh, a couple of weeks back. Don't spike, run the play. Your need for preparation, guess what? If you're already ready to go, even though you think you may need some preparation, they may even need more preparation on the defensive side. And it's all about your relative advantage, not it being an ideal circumstance for you. Because if you're trying to get to an ideal circumstance for you, you also may be giving enough time for the opponent to get into an ideal circumstance. It's all about relative advantage. Okay. And I'm going to close this out, I think, with the last question here from Casey Halpern. Q&A, which vet QB should the New York Jets go after in the offseason? Yeah, this is almost becoming a assumed thing that's going to happen. Mike White looks okay, but can you really, with this defense the way it's playing, although it probably won't maintain itself next season, can you really maintain this with this defense and not go after a vet? Probably not. 
Um, I would say ideally they would have been able to get Jimmy Garoppolo. That would have been the idea. They have uh, Mike LaFleur, who was in San Francisco. They have that type of system. I think, I mean, I'm a Jimmy truther, so I think he's at least an average quarterback, if not better. You had him in this team, this offense. Um, they've been Shanahan has even been opening things up a little bit for Jimmy this year. There's an article by Ben Solak over at The Ringer where he he actually links to my Jimmy article. So, you know, I have to like any article that links to my article, even if he the, the text for that part is not great because it makes it seem like Nick Mullins was better with both um, Kittle and Debo Samuel on the field, according to my numbers, which is technically true, but it was for eight snaps. <laughs> so, you know, that's like a Warren Sharp style um, sample size there. So, uh, but he mentions in that article that Jimmy was, according to his film analysis, and I'll, I'll trust him that it's true because Lord knows I'm not digging into the all 22 when it comes to this different stuff, um, that they're opening things up and giving a little bit more responsibility to Jimmy this year. So it's good. Like he could get some of the easy stuff. There's a ton of talent there. There's guys who could probably run after the catch fairly well, like Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore. And he could also convert on third downs, which ends up being key there. So he would have been the guy. Now, San Francisco looked like they were leaning towards bringing him back when the offense was looking really, really good a few weeks for the last few weeks, when the team was looking really, really good, when they're kind of going all, all in, you know, all in is a little bit of a misnomer since teams seem to go all in multiple times. There's only so many times you can go all in uh, with this, you know, with additional draft picks. So with the Christian McCaffrey, uh, Christian McCaffrey trade, so I don't know if they're going to bring him back or not, because I do think one of the huge concerns for San Francisco was Jimmy Garoppolo's injuries. The fact that when he did go down, the team fell apart and basically two wasted seasons from Jimmy Garoppolo injuries in the past. And now a third injury here, maybe that'll be enough of a motivation for them to say, we're not going to bring him back. And he's not under contract and he can't be franchise tagged, Jimmy Garoppolo. So that was part of his renegotiated contract because he can't be franchise tag, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, anyone in the chat, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. So he's a free agent, so I think that's a good option. The other option is Derek Carr. Um, I don't know if Derek Carr is going to be let go. I don't know if they're going to want to roll with him again because I, I don't think he's a bad player. But, geez, last night, Raiders, early down pass rate, 34%, I think, 35%. 40% pass rate for the entire game. I mean, I know Carr threw that ugly interception, but man, you got, you got to let the guy sling a little bit here. We're talking about Devontae Adams there. So I don't know if they're going to want to let Carr go and then have Adams just floating out there, you know, making $30 million a year, whatever his ridiculous contract is going to be as he gets up there in years and start all over there. They don't really have another option. Um, speaking of Tankathon, they're at 10th pick in the draft right now. So... Maybe they'll trade up. Maybe they'll trade up to get someone. But I think those are the two names out there. I would prefer Garoppolo. I think he's a better player. And he's a guy who doesn't have a contract. So you don't have to necessarily trade for him as any part of this deal. So that would be the guy for me, Garoppolo. Carr being second. And then other than that, now you're going to got a lot of guys. You got a lot of dudes that you're going to be able to just throw around with. I mean, is like Baker Mayfield going to want to go somewhere? Is anyone going to want to have him? Probably not. Can you imagine Zach Wilson and Baker Mayfield on the same team? I feel like those are like the two most hated guys amongst a certain uh, quarterback evaluator type that everyone would go after there. 
Um, what other guys could they possibly go after? No one that excites me. No one that I can think of excites me. If anyone has any ideas in the chat, throw them in there. But I can't really think of anyone else that would be anything but a placeholder for them until they figure out what they're going to do for a more long-term option. Can't, can't think of anyone else there. I mean, is Daniel Jones going to be let go? Could he go across town? Probably not. Um, Jacoby Brissett. Nah, I just don't like Jacoby Brissett. I know he looked fine this year, but he's had his chance. You know, he has chance in, in 2019, other places. We'll see. I see Daniel Jones came in the chat. Yeah, I mentioned Daniel Jones. I just don't, I don't know if the, the Giants make the playoffs. They probably can't get rid of him. He doesn't have his fifth year option though. So he's technically going to have to be a franchise tag or free agent. But again, I'm not excited about that. I'd be much more excited. I'd be most excited about Jimmy Garoppolo. Short term, you try to win while you have the the offense around him. If it doesn't work out, a couple of years, he, he's already aged out anyway. Jones is a much younger guy, and it'd be a kind of a weird situation for what you're going to have to do there. So maybe they can get Garoppolo, maybe they can't, but at least that will be a possibility for them. And maybe a good situation for Jimmy, honestly. Come to New York. Probably likes California, though. But come to New York, not have Trey Lance over your shoulder. Um, a good young team with a lot of talent there. Have a chance to prove yourself outside of Shanahan. Of course, then they'll say Mike LaFleur is the next you know, genius and, and discount what he does. But that, that's where I would go for the Jets. All right, everybody. I hope this was successful for any of you guys tuning in please go ahead subscribe to my Substack, unexpectedpoints.substack.com i moved the podcast over there too if you want to drop any comments in the podcast episodes go ahead and do that i'm trying to like encourage a good comment community over there responding to everyone uh on the articles so if you drop anything in there i will see it i will respond if necessary and if prudent and just pretty much most of the time just don't be a dick you know that's all i gotta say about life um But until then, I am going to come with an episode next week. I'm going to talk to Chase Stewart. You'll find that on Wednesday morning in your podcast app. And then I'll be back here again to probably do the same thing again next Friday. But until then, everyone, thank you so much for your support. You know, uh, praying hands emoji. Thank you for support. And I'll be talking at you all then. Thanks, guys.